You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory and honor for, Lord, you alone are worthy. We praise you, Jesus. And Lord, sometimes we can come into this place, we can be distracted, we can be called up in worries and anxiety, we can be thinking about things that are weighing on our mind, and dear Lord, we can be so easily distracted mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically, Lord. And so we ask you, dear Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit to move into our hearts and settle us. To cause us, dear Lord, to look to Jesus, the Bible said, the Arthur, the finisher of our faith. To realize, dear Lord, the songs that we have sang, that, dear Lord, have so lifted up Jesus, can now, dear Lord, be seen as we go to your word. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you, the Lord, that you love us. And we pray that you cleanse us that you forgive us where we fail you, where we let you down. And Lord, we're all struggling. And sometimes, dear Lord, we come into this place and we're weighed down, dear Lord, with the enemy of the soul, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies who slanders us and causes us, dear Lord, to feel as if we're unworthy. We know we are unworthy. But Jesus Christ, you are worthy. And when we are clothed in your righteousness, when we are in Christ, then, dear Lord, we're free free from condemnation and free, dear Lord, from the, from the wrath and the punishment that will one day come against sin because it's already been paid at Calvary. It's been paid at the cross. And so, Lord, may we take that freedom that we have and, dear Lord, live in that. Lord, we understand that sometimes we fail. So, Lord, cleanse us, forgive us. We confess to you. I confess to you, dear Lord, my own struggles and battles and ask you, dear Lord, to cleanse me. Let me be a tool today in your hand. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Esther. Back over there in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. Go over there past uh, some of those books, Ezra and Nehemiah. You'll come to Esther in the Old Testament. Esther, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3, Esther chapter 3. And uh, we, we've, we've got people that are out with COVID. Uh, Bethany's sick. She's at home. We've got children in here today. I probably will try to abbreviate the message, keep it a little bit shorter. Um, but last week, I, I preached on the subject, the count of Monte Cristo and the vaccine. Over the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we looked at what they call gain of function. We looked at the virus that caused this pandemic, the coronavirus, covid that was begun in a lab in Wuhan. It got out of that lab, I believe. They were doing things that we call gain of function. In other words, where you go in to a pathogenic organism, a disease-causing organism, a virus, for example, and you, you, you manipulate its genetic structure. You go in and do some things, and what you can do is you can create a super virus. You can play God in the lab, and when you play God in the lab, you don't know what you're going to get coming out of the lab. 
And we've already seen uh, the COVID virus. We've seen it mutate, Delta variant. We've seen the Omicron variant. We don't know if it'll mutate again. We just don't know what we face. And you may say, well, how does this happen? It happens, first of all, because man moves outside the perimeters of God's law. Once you and I begin to walk away from the faith, deny the Bible, get out of our belief systems, then the reality is, is that before long, if we don't think there's a God and we're not answerable to that God, then the reality is we start playing God. And isn't that what Satan told Eve? Didn't Satan say to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of that tree, you'll be like who? You'll be like God. Man wants to be his own God. He wants to call his own shots. And so we looked at that two weeks ago. If you were not here, did not hear that, I would suggest you go back and listen. And then last week, we looked at the virus. We looked at the vaccinating process. We looked at the constitutionality of a vaccine mandate. We talked about how our enemy, Satan, how he works and, and how he can even work in something like the pandemic to create such a spirit of fear that you and I live in fear. Remember, if you're masked up, six feet apart, honed up in your home, afraid to even get out, then how in the world are you going to carry out the Great Commission? How are you going to tell, tell a lost world about Christ? Can't you see where that is coming from? That is coming from the enemy. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul said 1.7, he said, Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. The word power in the Greek is deutimus. We get our word dynamite. God said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Are you living the abundant life right now? Are you living in fear? You're either walking by faith or you're walking by fear right now. And the enemy, his most valued tool in his arsenal is to get the believer, rather than walking in faith, to walk in fear. Because when you and I walk in fear, we lose the joy of our salvation, our witness is destroyed, and we're not telling anybody about Jesus Christ. Satan has effectively, in many ways, shut down the church in America. Why? One word, fear. You know, Jesus said this, he said, you don't fear the one that can kill the body. You fear the one that can kill both body and soul, and you're right, Kanye. And who's that? Who can kill body and soul? God can. And let me tell you, you end up in hell one day, it'll take eternity for Satan and for his e demons and for all of his troops, including everyone who has turned their nose, turned their face away from God. My friend, it will take eternity in hell to kill a soul. God does not want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you to walk in fear. He wants you to walk in faith. But we are looking today at what I call the Count of Monte Cristo in the vaccine part two. And real quickly, let me give you a little bit of the background of this particular passage in Esther. And you can go back and read it. There is a man in, in fact, you just take, a, I tell you what, you take a left, Esther uh, chapter one. If you see there, there's a man, there's a king, a Persian king, king, his name is Xerxes. He's the son of Darius, the grandson of Cyrus, who was the one that let the Jews go back to Jerusalem. But some Jews stayed, a lot of Jews stayed in the Persian Empire after the Persians beat the Babylonians. 
There's a queen by the name of Vashti. And the king, King Xerxes, is having a six-month strategy, military strategy, of trying to figure out how to defeat the, the Greek army. How many, and I, don't, I won't ask you this because I've never seen it, and I hear there's some things in it that people say you don't want to see. But if you've ever seen the 300, about the Spartans, the 300, that plays into this, that little bit of history plays into this story. Xerxes is trying to defeat the Greek army. He's trying, to, he's trying to bring the Greek army under submission, the Greek people under submission. So he has a six-month military strategy planning. At the end of that, he has a week of a celebration, a party, a big get-together for all of these people that are gathered. At a certain point, he says to Queen Vashti, he, tell, he sends word to Vashti, the queen, he says, I want you to come and entertain everybody. I want, I want everybody to see your beauty. Well, many people believe that she was pregnant with this child, the queen was. And he was also asking her not only to come, but he was asking her to be naked, we believe, naked before this assembly. So here's a pregnant woman, probably pregnant, is to be come in nude before predominantly all men. The queen Vashti says, you, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. She sends word back to the king, says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So the outcome of that is, is that the king says, King Xerxes says, Vashti, I don't ever want to see you again. I don't want to have nothing to do with you. You're not the queen anymore. So over time, he starts getting lonely. He says, man, I got to get another queen. So guess what he does? He puts out the word and he says to every young maiden, he says to every young maiden, he says, We're, I'm going to let you compete in your beauty. I'm going to let you compete for the role of queen. So everybody lines up. Well, there's a man by the name of Mordecai. He's a Jew, and he lives in the Persian Empire, and he lives here. And he says to Esther, who is a cousin, he's either the uncle or the cousin. Whatever he is, he's older than Esther. He's kind of like a patriarchal father figure. He says to Esther, he says, Esther, you're beautiful. And I believe that you need to be a part of this. And ultimately, Xerxes, the king, chooses Esther to be his queen. Now, there's a wicked man in this story, and his name is Haman. He's an Agagite. He's a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And so he's an evil man. He's a bad man. And so what he does is he begins to hatch a plan, listen, to kill all the Jewish people. He doesn't know that the queen, Esther, is a Jew. So Mordecai hears a conspiracy, hears something that's taking place that's going to remove all the Jewish people, kill all the Jews. And so Mordecai sends word to Esther, Esther, I need to go ahead and tell you, there's something bad getting ready to happen to our people. So let's pick up Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadathoth, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down, paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. 
Now remember what we said, sometimes in, in the Bible, you'll find government and the people of God at odds with one another. This is not unusual. Moses was at odds with Pharaoh over how the people of Israel were being cheated, treated enslaved to the Egyptians. Verse 4, day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether, Haman, whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the put, that is, the lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month, the, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from those of all other people, and who do not obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to, de to destroy them. And I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman. Now everybody look this way. Haman is an evil man. He hates Mordecai. He hates all the Jewish people. And so Haman wants to destroy the Jews. But he does not know the identity of Esther the queen that has been hidden from him. And notice this, there's a conspiracy to kill the people of God. Notice that he has hired, it's all in money and all in deception and dishonesty. Let me pray. Let's stop and pray right here. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray, dear Lord, that in these few moments, that, Lord, you speak to our hearts, and we give you the glory, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You probably thought you were never going to sit down. In other words, in fact, the Jew to this day celebrates a festival called the Festival of Purim. Now let me tell you what Purim is. It is a festival that celebrates the fact, because what, what Mordecai says to Esther, and let me go ahead and finish it, what Mordecai will eventually, Mordecai discovers what Haman is getting ready to do. He discovers the deception. He discovers all of the buying out of those governmental and political figures. He begins to see all of this. All of this begins to unfold before him. Haman has basically hatched a, a plot to kill the Jewish people. So Mordecai sends word to Esther, and he tells Esther, he says, Esther, you've got to take a stand. You've got to stand up, and if you don't, the Jewish people will be annihilated. They will be exterminated. They'll be gone. They'll be over with. And... He says these famous words. He said, who's to say that God has not called you before such a time as this? You know, we live in, in unbelievable times. We, we live in a day in the world right now where the pandemic has swept across the world. 
We live in a day when a lot of people are very afraid and they live in fear. We live in a day when people don't even know what to believe anymore. They don't even know who to believe, what to believe. There's all kinds of different things being said. And, and in America today, you may feel like that. You feel overwhelmed. Let me, let me remind you of our enemy. You know, Jesus said in John 10.10, He says, The enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. You and I have an enemy. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were there, do you know what the enemy knew? The enemy knew that the day that they partook of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the enemy knew this, on that day they would die, die. You may say, well, why does Satan, why does the devil, why does Satan hate mankind so much? Why does he hate us? He hates us because we bear the image of God. He hates us because we not only bear the image of God, he hates us because God loves us. And so he's out to destroy us. And all the way back in the garden, Satan knew that the day that Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, Satan knew this, they would die, die. They would not only die spiritually, they would die physically. They would, and eventually, if Adam and Eve died, then what would happen to humanity? They would die. And that's what Satan has always been about. He comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. Now, let me give you two goals of the devil. Number one, the devil wants to kill us, right? So when Job said, you remember when, when Satan was standing before God and, and, and Satan was talking to God about Job? You remember he said, well, you pay him to worship, you give him all this stuff, but you take it away and, and uh, he'll curse you. You remember that? And Satan, you remember he went out and ten children and crops and livestock and everything was lost. Finally, Job's health is attacked. Do you remember what Job said? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Only God can take a life. Or let me put it this way, only God can take a soul. There's a difference. He said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill body. Be afraid of the one who can kill both body and soul. So John 10.10, our enemy comes to kill us. So anything you and I see that would attack life, we need to be worried about it. Secondly, our enemy comes to control us. What do you mean by that? Listen, when you and I are filled with God's Holy Spirit, we are under the control of God's Holy Spirit. Is that right? Now, you and I, listen, when you and I repent of our sin and we get saved, Isaac, Isaac is saved and God's Holy Spirit is living in Isaac. Now, let me tell you what that Holy Spirit is doing. That Holy Spirit in Isaac is holding him to the day of redemption. It's the down it's the down payment. It's the deposit, as Paul said in Ephesians 1. But it is also seeking to control Isaac, to control his mind, control his heart, control the choices that he makes. Now, Isaac can quench the Holy Spirit, which means that when the Holy Spirit is convicting him, he can beat it down, or Isaac can grieve the Holy Spirit, which means that he, he says he follows his flesh, he follows his carnal nature, he doesn't follow the Holy Spirit, and therefore the Holy Spirit inside of him grieves. But listen, Satan comes to kill, and Satan comes to control. 
What Satan is trying to do in your life and in my life is to take the control from the Holy Spirit and take over your life and my life. Now let me tell you how he does it. He not only does it with the carnal flesh, where you and I get caught up in sin, we do things and we know that are wrong and we get convicted. He also does it by fear. The reality is, the truth of the matter is, you and I will walk by faith, we said it a moment ago, or we'll walk by fear. So let me ask you something. Who do you think's behind this fear that has gripped our world today? Satan. Who do you think would enjoy seeing humanity create something in order to kill humanity and to bring loss of life? Who would do that? Satan. You see, once man moves away from the perimeters of his faith, once man goes into a lab, once man begins to play God, once man begins to develop viruses and do some of these things, listen, he's no longer governed by God or governed by any principles at all. He's governed by, bottom line is, he's governed by the enemy, Satan. And the reality is, is that Satan is, I believe, in many ways behind it all. Let me give you an example. Turn over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. I want you to see this. The truth of the matter is I'm struggling, and the reality is is because, we're, uh, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of out of sync today. The reality is people are sick, got kids in here, we're just, just a lot, even though the kids are really being great, I have to admit. So I'm not blaming them. I think it's my fault. But in Revelation chapter 12, I want you to see this because the enemy, listen, everybody look this way. The enemy has always hated the people of God. He's always hated the people of God. He's never liked God's people. Cain killed, Cain killed Abel because Abel was a man that was walking with God. That's why he killed him. So Satan is never like God's people. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment that it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who does what? Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And watch this. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You and I need to understand from the garden all the way to now, we have an enemy. 
What does that enemy want to do? That enemy is about two things. He wants to kill humanity, and because he can't kill us, he wants to control us. How does he control us? He controls us by fear. If he can get us to live in fear, then my friend, we're no longer walking in faith. And this is the world that we're living in right now. You may say, well, what does Revelation 12 mean? John was saying this. John the Beloved was telling us this. He said, listen, Satan, the devil, has always been about one thing, going after the Messiah, going after Christ. Why? In the Old Testament. If Adam and Eve cease to exist, then the Messianic line is gone. If the Egyptians are able to destroy, if sin was able in Genesis 6 to destroy the covenant people of God, then the Messianic line is gone. If the Egyptians are able to enslave the Jewish people and therefore destroy them, then the Messianic line could have been gone. If Haman had been successful in destroying the Jewish people, then the Messianic line is gone. Jesus is never born, and it's all over with. You and I have an enemy. And that enemy has declared war against the church. And that enemy will do whatever he can to keep you living in fear and defeat, robbed of the joy of salvation, living in such a fear that you're afraid to get out of your home, afraid to live your life. And the world looks at you and says, if that's Christianity and that's what you've got, my goodness, that's not any different than the rest of the world. So we live in difficult days. We're in the middle of a pandemic. But my friend, that pandemic was hatched by man in a lab. That pandemic was hatched by men that were playing God. That pandemic is sweeping across this world, literally. My friend, because there's so much deception, so much dishonesty, so much money involved that, my friend, we have no idea what we're dealing with. Where does it come from? It comes from an enemy. And that enemy... That enemy, if he has his way, will shut down the church and will eventually destroy you and I. And the Great Commission, the gospel of Jesus Christ, will never be shared. Listen, I can tell you this much. Last week, I preached with great freedom. This week, I preach with no freedom at all. And it's not your fault. We're in the middle of a spiritual war. And the reality is there's a lot of information, but I'm in a place right now where I'm not comfortable sharing that information and I'm trying to figure out how to close this service. But if you don't hear anything else, understand this. If you're living in fear, you're not living in faith. If you're living in fear, you'll never be able to accomplish God's will and God's purpose, God's plan for your life. You never will. And if you're living in fear and not in faith, you're not going to have the joy of your salvation. And my friend, you'll never carry out the Great Commission. You and I sometimes need to step back in times like this, and we need to look at this, and we need to ask ourselves the question, is there a great spiritual war taking place in this world right now? And the reality is, do I need to have my eyes open so that I see it? Are we living in such a day of deception and dishonesty? 
Are we living in a day when government is sold out to money, pharmaceutical industries are called up in big money, we're dealing with so much deception and dishonesty, even among the vaccines, the vaccination mandates and all of this, we're living in a world that is so unstable, that is so, um, it's not at rest. If the Soviet Union invades the Ukraine, if the Chinese invade Taiwan, Most of our cities today are in disarray. Why? Because we're moving away from the faith. So you say, well, Brother Jeff, how do we live? Lord, we won't put this sermon up on the internet, on the website. You may say, well, how do we live? You either believe that God is sovereign or He's not. Now, let me tell you what sovereign means. It means God is reigning and in control, and God is never out of control. So if God's sovereign and He's in control, you can be rest assured He's in control of this pandemic. He's in control of the governments of the world, and He ultimately is in control of you and I. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Are you saying he's the, it's His fault? No, I'm not. I'm just simply telling you this, that as a woman said one day to a friend of ours in ICU, when she was sitting there weeping over her husband, who had been in ICU for 72 days, this sweet African-American woman leaned down to our friend who was crying and said, Honey, God ain't never out of control. God is sovereign. And ultimately, God's purpose and His plan of redemption will be accomplished. And because he's sovereign and because he's in control, you can trust him. You don't have to live in fear. I don't know what the world holds. I don't know what history holds. But I know who holds it. Do you know him? Have you ever given your life to him? Have you ever done what Isaac did a moment ago? Have you ever followed in believer's baptism? Has there ever come that point that you repented of your sin and gave your life to Christ and you know that for certain? Because if you don't know that, then you have something to fear. You have everything to fear. So I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Lord, uh, wow. Because I came to the pulpit with notes and a clear sermon, but felt, uh, I don't know, just self-imposed stress of not knowing whether to preach or not, not knowing in this particular Sunday whether to proceed, I... Maybe I messed up. Maybe I should have just went in and preached the message you gave me. And if, Lord, if I'm at fault, then forgive me. But, Lord, I pray today that people have somehow heard some truth. And the truth is this. That, God, you love us. And that, God, you've given us a rich, full life in Jesus Christ. But the reality is, God, that we have an enemy and that enemy is going to do everything that he can to get in the way of that. Lord, today we live in uncertain times. We live in times when we are in the middle of so much that is outside of our control. And Lord, it would be easy to be afraid or to be fearful, to feel like we're on a plane that seems to be plummeting to the ground when reality is, is that God, you're always in the cockpit. And God, we can trust you. So Lord, I pray today if there's a man or woman who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, dear Lord, if there's a man or woman here, a young person, a boy or girl, 
that simply looks at their life and cannot remember a moment when they came under the conviction of sin, when they felt the power of your Holy Spirit working in their heart and life. I pray, dear Lord, that right now, if you're speaking to their heart and they know that they're lost, that today they would be saved. And I pray, dear Lord, that they would reach out and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. And that in this moment, that the promise of your Holy Spirit would take seed in their heart and they would begin to have a peace that passes all understanding. I pray for others that may need to recommit, need to rededicate, need a fresh start. I pray, dear Lord, that you would encourage them and they could maybe make that decision today, whatever that decision may be. Lord Jesus, we love you and we're going to trust you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.